what we're doing here. Which is what? Hopefully trying to make peace. Like if I was talking to you guys and I went into Russian about explaining a Russian point, that would give me so much credibility. That discussion, as soon as it started, I found that less interesting than what we were doing before. It was harder for me to focus okay. on. And right. I, I Notice how he sidestepped the question. If at the end of the day, you are just, your highest virtue and value is rationality, which that's not it in Islam. Like, let, let, let's not pretend. There's all kinds of cognitive dissonance in Islam. Bruce Lawn. Jordan Peterson has done lectures about different Bible passages, entire books in the Bible, as a matter of fact. And so he's always attracted a rather diverse crowds of folks from all faith traditions. But as of late, it seems like he's been more outspoken about his overlap and views of Christianity. However, he also has kind of remained ambiguous. And recently, a video came out on his channel talking to Muslims about Christ and the issue of Jesus came up, and specifically his faith and what he believes in. And there's a moment that, in my opinion, is a very cliche type of moment with these sorts of conversations. I'll unpack that further, okay? But let's drop, uh, let's drop, let's start the very beginning of this, and then we'll get into the timestamp where they're talking about Jesus. So this is a very interesting opening. Yeah, sure. What is it? What we're doing here. Which is what? Hopefully trying to make peace. Is that enough? We'll see. Yeah. Because if it's better. <laughs> I love how that opens, man. So check this timestamp out. This is at the 55 minute mark in this conversation. They start talking about Jesus and the 50 minute mark. Okay. And something very, very typical happens with these sorts of conversations when you're engaging with Muslims is that they will go after what they think is the quote-unquote weak link in the conversation of uh, Islam versus Christianity. And this happens all the time. This happened This happened to my brother, Young Don, who was kind of ambushed uh, with some of these Muslim apologists and and kind of attempted to be cornered in, 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 in these sorts of conversations. It's always the same conversation, right? They'll always think that this is the juggernaut. And, and to be fair, Christians will always go after Muhammad and if Muhammad was a false prophet or not, right? But watch how Jordan Peterson sidesteps this question in this very contentious topic. This is very, I found this very interesting. And I feel like he's still ambiguous, but I feel like he didn't go for the trap. Okay, check this out. And how in incongruent it was with scientific narratives. You went to a pastor, you said, or a church. What, what I was reading uh, recently, I've read all your books. And I even read some of your peer-reviewed work. Because when I was going to speak to, to you, then I said, you know what, I'm going to do my, my homework. Yeah. So I read everything. One of the things that you said one time in The Maps of Meaning, you started off the book by saying, when you were a young lad, I don't know how, how young you were, you said that you found the doctrines of Christianity incomprehensible and absurd. Yeah, And you also said that you found uh, you had some kind of issue with Christianity because of... So he's like, ah, we got him. The doctrines of Christianity are incomprehensible. So he's going to go in for this. And, and, and listen to some of the stuff he says. And then again, and Jordan Peterson, who seemingly has shifted closer to Christianity, listen to how he answers. Genesis narrative and how in, incongruent it was with scientific narratives. You went to a pastor, you said, or a church, cleric yeah. or something, and then you left the church. Now, I've got yeah. a question. Do you still have the same position or have you changed your position? So he's like, you said this when you were a kid, you left the church. Do you still have the same position? Listen, listen to Jordan Peterson. I changed my position a lot. I was only 13 then, you know, oh, and I okay. was I was caught up in in the battle, you know, to insofar it was manifested in me when I was 13. I was caught in the battle between enlightenment rationality and mm. traditional narrative belief. Yes. I had yes. no idea how to reconcile those two things. Do you feel like you can do that now? 
I'm doing my best to reconcile. So let me be yes, and I think, yeah. well, I certainly can do it a lot more than I did when I was 13. Let me give you an example, right? This, this point, when you were 13, I think you were thinking straight. I'll be, I'm sorry to be very straight. <laughs> when you were 13, I think you were right. To Jordan Peterson. Hilarious. It's hard to believe yeah, that someone yeah, yeah. is disagreeable with you yeah. as you no, manage you were, that. Because someone with an IQ of 180 or whatever you have, yeah, someone of your intelligence. When you, were, when you were 13, you probably had an IQ of, I don't know, 120 or something. Yeah, So you were, you were operating like my friend over here, Ali Dawa, so on his level, at the age of 13. But what I was going to say was that, you know, the reason why I think he was... Because look at the Trinity, for example. Look at the... And that is it. That is it, friends. The, the, whenever you have any type of conversation with regards to apologetics with any Muslim, they'll always go after the Trinity. It's it's as super cliche, right? It, it is super cliche, and and that's the, that's the that's the thing. Hey, the Trinity, and, and listen to then his explanation of it. Schisms, and this goes to your specialism. The, so he says schisms in the church, at the age right? of thirteen. But what I was going to say was that you know the reason why I think he was because look at the Trinity, for example. Look at the schisms, and this goes to your specialism. So schisms are splits in a church. The, the idea of three all-powerful entities, that Jesus is all-powerful. That the- Now, notice he actually misrepresented this. Three all-powerful entities. It's one entity, three persons. So out the rip, this is a straw man. Out the rip, this is a straw man. Christians don't believe in three gods. We don't believe in three all-powerful entities. We believe in one entity with three persons. Okay? Now, that also can be complicated because there's no perfect metaphor to explain it away. Okay, which I, I understand why some people can struggle with the idea of the Trinity. Okay, Father is all powerful, the Son is all powerful, and the Holy Spirit is all powerful, but there's not all one, uh, there's not three all powerful, there's one all powerful. You have one ultimately willing being, which is a person, which is Jesus, and then another person, which is ultimately willing, which is the Son. The Quran says about this, it says, They always kind of do this like, like Arabic flex, where they'll speak in the language. This is why Loki want to learn Hebrew. I want to just be talking and then just like, just go into like, like Hebrew, you know, like how ill would that be? Like, like if I was talking to you guys and I went into Russian about explaining a Russian point, that would give me so much credibility. Right? Like, like it's such a flex to just go into the native tongue of whatever is written in. It would be dope if I could do that. If I could go into like the original language of the Bible, maybe I'll make that my, my, my life's mission. You know, like that would be gangster. Okay, let's go back. In chapter 23, verse number 91, it says that Allah has not taken any son and he, doesn't, he did not have any creator with him. Had that been the case, they would have stripped one another for what they, they would have competed and tried to outstrip one another for power. Meaning this idea of three all-powerful persons is unintelligible to say the least. The um, those were real Russian words, by the way. Shout out to all the Russians. I just said I just said a bunch of nothing, but those were real words. Um, so <laughs> anyway, so he he keeps saying all three all powerful uh, beings, which is uh, you you're then sliding from uh, monotheism to polytheism when you say that. Nevertheless, it's setting up a straw man, meaning that's not what the Trinity position actually holds. You're creating a, a, a fake argument, and then you're attacking the argument. That's what a straw man is, okay? That Jesus Christ exhibits two natures. For, I know that there are schisms, and there's difference of opinion among Christians. Now, this is true. We In Christology, we do believe that Jesus is, is the, the, the first schism of the church, which where the Oriental church split. And by the way, I think we're going to attempt to put together a series or, or a free class on church history. But the first schism 
in in church history is when the Oriental Orthodox Church, by Oriental I don't mean Asian, I mean the Eastern Arm, the first Eastern Arm, this is about around the year 500, they split because there was a discretion with the Eastern and the and the rest of the church over the word of or from. Was Jesus of two natures or was he from two natures? So it was like a minor description. And since there's been since reconciliation between the Eastern, uh, the, the Oriental, the Eastern Orthodox, and even the Catholics over this first schism. Okay, so but we do believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Okay, that that is something that we do believe. But the, the fact that you have this human nature, where Jesus is walking and he sees a tree and he can't eat from the tree, he doesn't know that the tree is uh, in season or not, or that he doesn't know when the hour is or whatever it may be, because Jesus lays down some of his godly attributes in order to be fully human. Correct. The Quran says it very clearly. Him and his mom used to eat food. This proposition that they're limited and unlimited at the same time is it's a contradiction. It's an affront to logic. That's, it, this will cause you cognitive dissonance. I find it so interesting. Hypostatic union. That is what we're talking about. The hypostatic union of Jesus. Okay? I find it so interesting how obsessed they are with logic and avoiding contradictions and avoiding cognitive dissonance. I find it extremely ironic. Okay? Let's keep going. Because if you want to be a rational actor and you want to See, be... See, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be a rational actor. Yes! And there it is. He cut his legs out from underneath him. See, that's the thing. You think I am attempting to be a rational actor in this situation, but there's something deeper at play than just reason and rationale. Even though I believe God gave us the ability to reason, even our, 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 a lot of our presuppositions are anchored on the ability that God gave us a sound mind to even reason. But he's saying, you know what? No, 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 no. You're assuming that I just want the logic to add up, right? Let's let's pull it back. To logic. That's, it, this will cause you cognitive dissonance. Because if you want to be a rational actor and you want See, to be- See, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be a rational actor. But you do when you do your scientific experiments. That's true. So why do you, you separate the two things? Because rationality should be subordinated to something above it. Sheesh! Rationality should be subordinated to something above it. If at the end of the day, you are just, your highest virtue and value is rationality, which that's not it in Islam. Like, let, let, let's not pretend. There's all kinds of cognitive dissonance in Islam, right? Um, but if that's your highest ration, that, that that's your highest virtue, you're going to fall short. And I'm trying to subordinate myself to that. And so my, my reaction to what you're saying um, mm. is that it's an... In this isn't an insult. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you what my reaction is. Please say it's it. not. It's yeah. not even a criticism. Of it's, course. I find the discussion, that discussion, as soon as it started, I found that less interesting than what we were doing before. It was harder for me to focus okay. on. And I, I notice how he sidestepped the question. He's trying to go after and attack uh, his false version of the Trinity, and Jordan Peterson goes, "Well, you're assuming I want to be a rational actor," and then he goes, "I just find this less interesting than what we were talking about before." What a great response. I'm not going to play this game with you. I'm not even going to debate this. We're having a conversation, I, I guess, in terms of what they could find common ground on. And he's like, I'm not even going to play this game with you. I don't want to be a rational actor. What I found we were doing before was more interesting. So, so now, now watch what he goes on. The reason say. for that is that it, it, it transforms to some, and I'm not saying this isn't necessary at okay. sometimes, but it transforms the transcendent into 
something like an intellectual and propositional discussion. And so in some sense, we're debating perhaps not the fine points of theology because yeah. they're more like the blunt points of theology. Yeah, yeah. But and these are very blunt points of theology. These are big, 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 big ideas. There's something about that that there's something about that that isn't what I want to do with you. Yes. You know, and it isn't that it's not <laughs> necessary. So let, okay. let me flip right. it around right, to right, some right. degree. So one of the yeah. things I'm very curious about is obviously the figure of Christ is yeah. contentious. Yes. And so the Jews don't know what to make of Christ yes. in some fundamental sense because he seems like the last, he seems like an, what would you, a continuation of the prophetic tradition in yes. some real sense. Plus he was Jewish, so that makes things complicated. And then, mm -hmm. of course, the Christians put the figure of Christ as, as central in some real sense, but that begs the question of the relationship between Christ and God. And then in the Muslim community, Christ is also a central figure. And so I'm curious about that. And we could say we have doctrinal differences about what constitutes that centrality. It's like, fair enough. And I would also not say that I understand what that centrality means. Mm -hmm. Like, So one of the ways I would understand. He's like, I don't even understand what that is, right? That, let's say, is that in, in the Western tradition, and I don't know to what degree this is true in the mm -hmm. Muslim tradition, one of the attributes of what Christ is psychologically, is the Logos. And now he's echoing John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. John 1.1. That word, Word, is Logos. Okay? So, Logos, the full representation. Right? If we go, if we look that up, let's, let's matter of fact, let's look it up together. What is the definition of logos? Okay, logos, a concept or word in the Bible symbolic of the nature and function of Jesus Christ. It is also used to reference the revelation of God in this world. Logos is a noun that occurs 330 times in the Greek New Testament. Of course, the word doesn't always, in fact, it usually doesn't carry a symbolic meaning. Its most basic common meaning is simply word, speech, utterance, message, right? So Jesus is the word, speech, utterance, reason, plan, fullness of God. In the beginning was the word, the logos, right? And so this word in the Greek is what Jesus is. It's, 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 it's the full representation of it, right? Plural in ancient Greek philosophy and early Christian theology, the divine reason implicit in the cosmos, ordering it and giving it a form and meaning, okay? So Jordan Peterson said, we know it to be the logos. Jesus is the logos. Jesus is the logos of God. Jesus is the essence of all originating things that represent the Godhead, right? And so if we're engaged... And then we know in John 1, 4, 14, it says, and then the word, the Logos, became flesh and blood. The Logos, God, becomes flesh and blood, right? And that word Logos is different. It's different when you see other parts of the word word used in the Bible, meaning there's, there's, there's word in Ephesians 5 where it says, it says, it says, husbands, wash your wives with the word, Right? Not the logos. That's not talking about the logos. That's talking about the rema word. It's a different word. It's more of a prophetic word of God, right? The logos is the all-encompassing reason, logic, everything combined in it, the representation of God, right? Whereas that other word in rema, it's not talking about washed in with the logos, with the Jesus. It's not talking about the even the scriptures, the, the divine spot. It's talking about with the rema word of God, right? Um so uh, let's 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 dialogue listen. attributes of what Christ is psychologically is the logos, and so mm -hmm. if we're engaged in dialogue, which is dual logos, yeah, yeah. then we're embodying the spirit of something like mutual enlightenment, and that's then the presence of that spirit in the in the 
genuine confines of temporal reality, right? It's something like the infinite descending to the finite to illuminate us and to the degree. The infinite descending to the finite to illuminate us. That is what he's saying with regards to the, to the, the logos. Genuine confines of temporal reality, right? It's something like, and that's then the presence of that, which is dual logos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we're embodying the spirit of something like mutual enlightenment. And that's then the presence of that spirit in the, in the genuine confines of temporal reality, right? It's something like the infinite descending to the finite to illuminate us. And it sounds... I don't think he's saying dual logos is that. It sounds like he's saying the logos is that. The infinite is coming down to the finite. The divine is coming down to the human. Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm misreading that or maybe I'm reading into that. But that's what it sounds like he's saying, which is what? Jesus coming in. Now, again, is he sidestepping the question? Is he being ambiguous? Is he, right? Like, is he being intellectual? I don't know, right? To the degree that we can have a dialogue in good faith, which is also a religious notion... Dialogue and good faith. We've been talking about this on the channel before. How important it is for us as Christians to have dialogue and good faith. By good faith means charitable. By charitable meaning I believe I believe the best about you as my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ. You believe the best about me. I'm not questioning your motives. I don't think you have a demon, right? I don't think anything like that. I'm believing the best about you. The more we can have good faith conversations, the better we are. And why is this important? Because this is important when we can say, hey, you know what? We have disagreements. We have things that we're going to not see eye to eye on. But Jesus said the world will know him by our love for each other. Or, or, or said, Jesus will say that the, they will know you belong to me by your love for one another. Right? This is very important to have good faith, charitable conversation by, by being loving towards each other. Right? And so Jordan Peterson's kind of pointing that out was like, hey, I thought we were having a good faith conversation here, but it doesn't seem like that based on where the conversation went, which is basically this gentleman trying to convert Jordan Peterson to, to Islam for the rest of the remainder. Of and we can engage in that process of dialogos and that transforms and redeems us. And then when I say, well, do I believe that? I say, well, it isn't just that I believe it as a proposition. It's that I can tell when it's happening. And so can you, I think. It's like, you're going to see that this conversation will ebb and flow, you know, and yeah. some of the time it's going to grip you. You think we're at the heart of the matter and sometimes yes. your attention's going to wander. Your attention's going to wander when we're off the path. And yes. so I would say that yes. to the degree that you and I are communicating, this is a religious way of thinking about it, is that we're doing our best to embody the spirit of the logos. And if that's working, then we're making progress. And I know. Interesting he says that we're doing our best to embody the spirit of the logos. But in this conversation, it isn't really reciprocated, is it? So then, what does that say about the person he's having the conversation with in their paradigm? That in the Western tradition, that's part of what has been conceptualized as the fundamental attribute of, of the figure of Christ. And I know that Christ is central in the Muslim tradition. And so one of the things I would want to know is yep. not how we differ doctrinally, yep. because I don't even think I'm qualified to... To so debate you on that case, but, well, Jonathan <laughs> might have some things to say, but, yeah, yeah. but what I would like to, to yeah. know instead is, why do you believe that the figure of Christ is central in some sense, or maybe I've got that wrong, although okay. I don't think so, why do you think the figure of Christ is central both to the Muslim faith and the Christian faith, and what do you think that says about what we share in common? Because I really don't understand that. It's a mystery to me. Okay. Uh, so. what, a, what a ill way to sidestep that question. He says... You're assuming I want to be a rational actor. I think there's a higher virtue, right? Then he says, I just don't find this interesting. And then he says, hey, 
weren't we having a charitable good faith conversation and when we and when we have that there's do logos which is ultimately us trying to affirm the higher values of the logos which is Christ is he is this me or is this like mental gymnastics is it either mental gymnastic or is this judo I don't know right I don't know Jesus Christ if secular historians will look at him and differ on his existence or not. The majority, to be fair, do believe he existed, right? Even secular historians, atheists and agnostics and whatever it may be, right? It's the simplest explanation. Yeah, it's the simplest, of course, yeah? So I believe that, first of all, Jesus Christ existed, which in the modern age is worth noting, right? Mm -hmm. Muslims actually, Muslims are the only other major world religion who believe in uh, Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the prophet. Right, he, he had the right. and this birth. is a strange thing, yeah, so we yeah. should definitely <laughs> yeah. try to sort that out. All right, so this is the first <laughs> point of commonality. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in his miracles, that he, he cured the blind with God's permission, that he raised the dead with God's permission. We believe that he even, you know, uh, he, he created some things which in the Gospel of Thomas, not mentioned in the Bible, like, you know, but uh, for example, the, the clay. He references the Gospel. He references the Gospel of Thomas, which is a Gnostic text, which goes on to say all kinds of weird stuff, like, Women can't be saved until they die and come back reincarnated as a man, which we rejected as heretical, but yet we'll make the same assertion that the New Testament scriptures are corrupted, yet reference the gospel of time. If that's not cognitive dissonance, I don't know what is. Anyone that ever starts uh, jumping into the, 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 the the other accounts, right? The other Gnostic accounts, which were re re rejected. And by the way, there were books that weren't heretical that were rejected. I can give you guys some of those too. I can give you at least one of those, right? So it's hilarious that he references the Gospel of Thomas, yet would say in Islamic tradition believes this, that they believe that the guy, the Bible has been corrupted. Bird and so on, that he blew into it and it became an actual bird, uh, that he killed a leper with God's permission. We believe that he was one of the mightiest human beings that have ever lived on the earth. And we believe that his mother was the best woman who ever lived on the earth. But you don't believe he was God and you don't believe he claimed divinity and you believe the New Testament was corrupted. Hmm. The Quran actually explicitly says that. Well, that seems like a good starting point. Right, and so... <laughs> Is this Jordan Peterson being petty and passive-aggressive? I want, I want to know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. That is the first thing we believe. When we look at the Quranic verses relating to Jesus Christ, we don't look at those metaphorically. No Orthodox Muslim, normatively, looks at those uh, in an etiological way. It's not etiology for us. It's, it's, it's history. So we believe that this is actually historical. That's the first thing. And the reason why I mention that to you is because I, I listen to all of your biblical series. I think a lot of Muslims have. And you yes. know that right here. A lot of people like it. It's because obviously... Yeah, strangely uh, enough. And No, and it's not very strange if you know the Quran because the Quran actually tells us to go to the people of the book and to, to listen to them and to, you know, and you'll find an exegesis. Like, for example, Tafsir ibn Kathir, like one of the staple exegesis of the Quran, they use uh, biblical verses all the time. Let's go to the people of the book. Let's see what information they have. Tabari mentions uh, what you call Israeliyat, which is basically passages from the Bible. Doesn't the Quran also state that the Bible is true? Passages from the uh, Torah and so on like that, from the biblical tradition and from the Torah. So it's not really, it's not, it's not abnormal for Muslim people to be interested in Christian explanations. That's been going on for 1,300 years, yeah? That's the first thing. The second thing is that, why, because symbolism is important, and you've mentioned, for example, Egyptian symbolism. You mentioned, for example, Orisis and, I don't know, Isis and all this, not that Isis. I know you yeah. already think, he already thinks I'm a good <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, the Egyptian god Isis, I have to make that very clear. Um, and so on, yeah? So my, my question would be, therefore, like, before we talk about symbolism, because a symbol can be something, you can have a symbol 
and an expression of something which exists at the same time. For example, you can have something which is meta not metaphoric, because you can't have a metaphor and non-metaphoric. We can't have a symbol and something which doesn't exist. For example... Uh when we're talking about contradictions and then in the same minute-long point, he starts contradicting himself and then catches himself in a contradiction? Or am I the only one that caught that? Very clear. Um, and so on. Yeah, so... My question would be therefore, like, before we talk about symbolism, because a symbol can be uh -huh. something, you can have a symbol and uh -huh. an expression of something which exists at the same time. For example, you can have something uh -huh. which is meta not metaphoric, because you can't have a metaphor and non metaphoric. We can have a symbol and something which doesn't exist. For example, I say that you are a symbol for Western and what? What? Huh? It's uh, intellectualism, yeah? Possibly. I mean, this debate is Jordan Peterson a symbol for Western debate here. Um, and he exists. Now, here's the point. Like, you know, you... Uh-huh. The cross is a symbol. Uh-huh. For Jesus who existed and died on the cross for our sins. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, there are central doctrines to Christianity, like the crucifixion, the ascension, the resurrection, uh -huh. yep. uh, and all the, all the above, right? These are doctrines. Yep. How yep. do we look at these doctrines? Because As literal. So I'm asking you, I think you are qualified, or at least you have some, because you did mention it. As 1 Corinthians 15 states, they happen. Your lectures, that you are taking the approach of the Alexandrian school, which is like the origin of Alexander and his Jewish teacher, Philo, and these kinds of people, who take what you call the spiritualizing text. They spiritualize the text. They, they were known, the Alexandrian school was known for spiritualizing the text. And they were aberrational in that, in that sense. And that's why they were, one of the reasons why they were seen as heretics by, the, by all, I think, all the churches. The Eastern I think Alexandria. just origin, but yeah. the, the, the origin said some things which are heretical, but yeah. he has massive influence on church fathers that are yeah. respected. But I, to your point, yeah. the, 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 let's say the notion that, that uh, facts have meaning, that is something that as Christians we should believe. Yes. Right? And, that and, God uh, created the world with a meaningful structure, so the world lays itself out in a way that when we see it, we can see the exactly. meaning. And this is something which yeah. all... And this is something that we as all Christians believe in that the biblical text about Jesus, the resurrection, the cross, dying for our sins, were facts. They weren't spiritual. They weren't metaphorical. They were facts. They were facts so much so that all of the early apostles were willing to die for said facts. I don't know a lot of people that would die for something they knew was a lie. I mean, people die for lies all the time, but I don't know people that would die for something that they knew was a lie. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you die for something that you know is a lie? Right? So they died for things they believed to be factual. And then that is echoed all throughout the New Testament epistles. Most significantly, the earliest known, the earliest known creed, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All types of Christians will do it. Catholics will do it. Eastern Orthodox and Protestants. All of them will say, you must believe in these doctrines as happening. You cannot believe in them as symbols. You cannot believe. So the reason why this actually is so when I when I hear yeah. something like that, yeah. then my, the question that arises for me is, what do you mean happening? And so so mm. let me just so this is where okay now I like uh, uh, shout out to Apaji in, in the chat. So he says M Hajab's brain is hardwired by what the Quran says. Almost a waste of time talking to him. Almost yeah, yeah. It's it seems like it because he just keeps driving and then he gets to this point of like if I can give you undeniable evidence that the Quran is real. Then you will you convert? And Jordan Peterson's like, no. Like at the end of this, basically what he says, like, no. What do you mean? And he's like, the Quran has no contradictions, and the Quran is perfect. And si secular scientists say the Quran is perfect. And he's just like, uh huh, right. But uh, this is this. That's the, at the end of the interview. I'll link it. I'll link it below. You can get, you'll look it up. Okay, it's talking to a Muslim about Christ. Now, here's where I think Jordan Peterson 
And if you guys want to see a video about whether the Quran has contradictions, I'll link a video below to uh, a, a great conversation um, that, that you guys would like between a Protestant and a Catholic. Okay, But um, listen to Jordan Peterson's response here, which is, I think this is this gets very weaselly, right? Because he's like, you either have to believe in them as, as literal or you have to believe in them as symbolic. Now, Jordan Peterson hasn't acknowledged, this is the one thing that hasn't acknowledged, which I think is an essential for being a Christian, he has not acknowledged if he believes that the bodily resurrection of Jesus is literal. So when he's pushed in a corner of saying, do you believe these things are symbolic or do you believe these things are literal? This is where he now gets, in my opinion, and I don't, I don't say this as a, I'm not trying to say this it's more jujitsu. It's it's kind of like he's slithering out of the answering the question. Well, it's actually so when I when I hear yeah. something like that, yeah. then my, the question that arises for me is, what do you mean happening? And so so <laughs> let me just unpack that a little bit. So I did a lecture last night at the Apollo on the story of Cain and Abel, yes. and one of the things that I proposed was that not only did that story happen, but it's it's always happening. Yes. It always happened. It's happening right now, and it's always going to happen into the future. And so yes. I would say, to some degree, the mere reduction of these profound stories to a historical reality is an underestimate of their truth, because they're a strange kind of truth, because they're the truth that always happened and is happening now and always will happen. So the Cain and Abel story, for example, yeah, yeah. you have a story of the eternal battle between something like the spirit of joyful and appropriate sacrifice, which is characterizes Abel and the spirit of resentful resentment against the structure of existence yes. as a consequence of thrownness and the shaking of the fist at God. And mm -hmm. that's always happening because for all of us, you know, we look at our lives and we think, well, should we be happy to be alive? Should we be grateful to be alive? And the answer to that is often, but not always. And if you put someone in the position of Job and he's being tortured to death by fate and tragedy and catastrophe and Also, this gentleman has debated, debated David Wood and William Lane Craig. Are you serious? Is that, is that what you're saying? Oh, that's good. That's good to know. I would love to see Jordan Peterson sit down with William Lane Craig. That would be fascinating. Let's go back, though. But listen to this answer he gives. He's like, the Cain and Abel happened. Well, it's, like it's, ha it's truer than true because it's happened and it's happening and it's always happened. And like, it's like, what? Well, he might well come to a point where he's motivated to take the resentful path and shake his fist at God. And we have those spirits inside of us warring constantly. And so... When, and so then when I look at a story like Cain and Abel, I think, well, the question, did that happen, begs the question, what do you mean by happen? Because when you <laughs> are dealing with fundamental realities and yes. you pose a question, yes. you have to understand that mm -hmm. the reality of the concepts of your question, when you're digging that deep, are just as questionable about, as what you're questioning. You know, so people say to me, what do you, do you believe in God? And I think, okay, there's a couple of mysteries in that question. What do you mean, do? <laughs> what do you mean you? What do you mean believe? And what do you mean God? And you say as the questioner, well, we already know what all those things mean, yeah. except belief in God. And I think, no, if we're going to get down to the fundamental brass tacks, we don't really know what any of those things mean. And so for me, belief, okay. for example, is often reflected not so much in proposition as it is in action. If I want to know yeah. what you believe. Yeah, th this is him evading the question. This is him evading the question, because remember what the question was. Hey, the New Testament accounts, you can't, you're taking them literally or you're taking them symbolically? Because, by the way, we don't think that Jesus literally rose from the grave. And therefore, do you take them literally or symbolically, right? You see what I'm saying? So this is him 
maneuvering out of the question. He diffused it by saying, I don't care to be a rational Remember, I don't care to be a rational actor. I don't find this interesting. Hey, I thought this was a good faith discussion. Oh, this is a good start in terms of what you say you believe about Jesus. And then he's like, now, what do you mean by this? Believe, what do you mean by happening? What do you mean by, right? And so he's getting really, really, really technical with with all of these different things. And it does kind of sound like a word salad, if we're going to be honest, right? Like it does sound and feel kind of that way. I could ask you, and hopefully you have some idea about what you believe, but I'd rather see what you do. Well, can I, can I, can I push back a little bit with this? Because, like, for, for example, when I was reading your book, uh, your newest book, actually, this time, yeah? It's 12 More Rules. They're very good books, by the way. I mean, I, I recommend Thank them, you, yeah, sir. honestly. And Buy them if you haven't already <laughs> bought them. It's, I, I, would, I would specifically recommend The 12 Rules for Life. Because it's all more rules. I have some criticisms of it, but it's good. It's a good book. But one thing you did say about it, you, you it's were... really hard to believe that you're disagreeable. Really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one thing you mentioned in the in the book, you were talking about some psychological theory, which I don't forget. Uh, I forget what it is. What it is right now. But you mentioned something. You said this. You know, the problem with this such and such theory is that it doesn't have any evidence. Full stop. Categorical. All this, what you're doing now, you didn't mention that. You didn't say, well, it depends on what you mean by this. It depends on what you... Sorry to say, yeah. But it depends on what you mean by this. It depends on what you mean. You become postmodern all of a sudden. It's, it's... So he's making him move on to a whole another part of the conversation. And he says, you're becoming postmodern. Which, what's postmodernism? There's no objective truth. There's only subjective reality. So this is kind of a, this is kind of a shot at Jordan Peterson. He's like, hey, look, you're, you made this statement in your book and you've, you're kind of slithering your way out of it. And I'm like, yes, because he's not trying to debate with you on these specific issues. He's, it's exactly what he's doing. Like you become now... You, you, yeah, well, that's, a, that's, <laughs> well, that's a definite... Oh, yeah, yeah. that's a definite... Yeah. Look, I think that's partly why the postmodern critique, in some sense, was inevitable. Mm. Is because <laughs> we started to dig down into something like, say, the meaning of stories, because that's really where the postmodernists got their yeah. impetus, because the postmodern... So, anyway, listen, I love Jordan Peterson. But I have never seen someone maneuver this much in a conversation that they just didn't find interesting and the way they were able to move around it. And uh, we don't know what we don't know. Like all of these different things I found very interesting. So my question to you guys is, do you think he answered in a way that defended Christianity or he completely just sidestepped a question because he didn't feel like having that debate? And can this debate be had in good faith? Because then, again, then we're going back to presuppositions, then we're going back to how do we gather our sources of truth? If one side is saying, hey, like we view the New Testament epistles as true and as historic, the other side says we think they've been corrupted. What's, the, what's even the point? Because what are we then debating? Like where do you believe in your book and we believe in our book? We believe our book is superior than your book. Right? Like, then, then, then it's just going to come down to where do you gather your source of truth from? Where do you gather your source of truth from? Right? And so it's like if I reject the Quran, then there's nothing you're going to say to me that's going to convince me that the Muhammad and Islam is the right way. I've already rejected the Quran. And I have reasons for why I rejected the Quran. Sometimes... The, 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 the argument is not worth it. Sometimes the debate is not even worth it. And, it. and it's very difficult for me to even see how we can have good faith conversations, right? So I ended up watching the rest of this and, um, and, and like the thing that they present as like the evidence is like the Quran, fam? Like the Quran, like that is your best argument is like, but look at the Quran. So wait a minute, but but just saying I can't even fully understand the Quran unless I learn 
Arabic. So I got to learn a language. So I got to invest myself in learning a language to even be able to read and fully understand it or the book's not for me or, or it's kind of for me, right? Like, mm. then what are, we what are we talking about? This, this, what, are we even, what are we even arguing about, right? And so I've seen these situations. I've seen David Wood debate these guys frequently. I've seen young Don get ambushed. I've seen these things over and over and over and over again. And I, um, I, don't, I don't find them... I don't find them as genuine. I don't find them as as beneficial. I don't find them as fruitful. And it said that Simeon blessed God. 